my favorite stories to uh, favorite stories story books to read my girls when they were younger is the story of the remarkable Farkle McBride. Um, a couple of my girls said that always kind of made them a little bit nervous. Um, I think because of the because of the illustrations, they're they're very bold and they're vivid. Um, the story is a fun story. I like it, and I like the rhythm of it. I um, and I thought I would I w thought I would read this story to you because um, it's a really it's a really good illustration of what I want us to talk about today from the Word. Um, so you may want to turn, if you uh, would, to. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but as you're doing that, um, listen to this story. Um, in fact, I'll even show you the pictures too because they're fun. Um, don't get scared, kids, okay? It'll be all right. But here's the story of the remarkable Farkle McBride. Oh, pity the prodigy, Farkle McBride. No matter what instrument poor Farkle tried, whether strumming or blowing or drumming or bowing, his musical passions were unsatisfied. When Farkle McBride was a three-year-old tyke, all freckly, bony, and thin, he astonished his friends and his family alike by playing superb violin. He went readily, deedily, deedily, dee with all the strings at his side. Readily, deedily, deedily, dee the remarkable Farkle McBride. But when he was four, Farkle played it no more. In spite of his parents' beseeching, he shattered the records he used to adore. He smashed up his resin, ripped up every score. He threw fiddle and bow to the living room floor as he shouted, Enough of your screeching! When Farkle was five, his melodical gift once again bore rhapsodical fruit. The woodwinds inspired his spirit to lift, and he rapidly mastered the flute. He went rootily tootily tootily too, with all the winds at his side. Rootily tootily tootily too, the remarkable Farkle McBride. But at six, Farkle flung his flute into the lake, notwithstanding its lyrical trill. He stamped on the dock till you'd think it would break. That's it, he exclaimed. I've had all I can take. That tootling gives me a brutal headache. It's so wimpy and whiny and shrill. When Farkle was seven, a different sound rekindled his musical flame. He became the most expert trombonist around, and the boulevards buzzed with his name. He went vroompity doompity doompity doom with all the brass at his side. Vroompity doompity doompity doom, the remarkable Farkle McBride. But at eight, he declared to his parents' despair, and everyone else might have guessed, I can't stand the trombone with its blast and its blare. That racket is more than my eardrums can bear. So return it or throw it away, I don't care. I despise it just like all the rest. When Farkle was nine, both his father and mum 
were bursting with pride and affection, for Farkle learned xylophone, cymbals, and drum, the entire percussionist section. He went boom, bash, clang him a crash, all the clamor that he could provide, tinkly, bing-bong, bumpity crash, the remarkable Farkle McBride. I bet you guys can't guess what's happening next. <laughs> but soon he fell prey to his usual gloom, despite all the praise and the flattery, first a sigh, then a sulk, then a frown, then a fume, then an ear-splitting tantrum that emptied the room. I can't take it, he bellowed, the crash and the boom and the clang and the bang of the battery. Poor Farkle at ten, howsoever renowned, reached the end of his musical tether. But then he discovered his favorite sound, musicians all playing together. It happened like this. The conductor caught cold on the day of the major recital. You've got to replace him, young Farkle was told. Your cooperation is vital. So he took the baton and he gave the downbeat and kaboom, the foundations were shaken by glorious music, bombastic and sweet, that filled up the hall and spilled into the street. Music that brought the whole crowd to its feet from the instruments he had forsaken. They went readily, rootily, rumpity bang, bravo, all the spectators cried. Deedily, doodly, doompity clang, the remarkable Fargo McBride. Since that sparkly night, Maestro Farkle McBride conducts all the instruments he ever tried. His happy heart sings to brass, drums, winds, and strings, and remarkable Farkles at last satisfied. The remarkable Farkle McBride. <laughs> So a fun story, right? But a story that illustrates something I think very, that is very important for us to understand as a church. Now, um, don't read into it too much. You know, Farkle was a little dissatisfied with this instrument and that instrument. He's, I'm not, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm tired of this. But what he realized was that when all of the instruments are playing together, it does something that none of the instruments can do all by itself. Um, that when we are together uh, in our instrument playing, in our music making, so to speak, that a beautiful sound arises. And that's the, that's the kind of, that's the kind of a force that the church is supposed to have in, in its local context and in the world. That we all, with different voices, with different instruments, with different gifts and abilities, come together and form one church. And we need each other in order to do that. So, read with me now from the Word, the real story, the true story, which is God's Word this morning. 1 Corinthians 12 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 
through 27. Follow along with me as I read it aloud. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let's pray. Father, uh, speak to us through your word this morning. Give us understanding, God. Help us to see your truth in here. Help us to see, God, your, your glory um, that, you have, that, you have, uh, that you want to display um, in your body, the church. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are one body. That's the first thing um, to pull out of this. I, the first obvious basic truth. We are one body body. Because, and why? Look with me at verse 13. He, he introduces where, you know, just as the body, so we are one body, so it is with Christ. He says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. And he says it doesn't matter who you were. Uh, in, in Corinth and in, in the first century, um, those who were following the one true God um, uh, began, well, they were Jews to begin with. Jesus and his disciples were all Jewish. They followed God. They followed the one true God. Jesus came. He was the Christ. He was God's Son. And eventually the word of the good news of who Jesus was spread to the rest of the world. The Jews uh, and the Greeks or the Gentiles. And then he also adds this, slaves or free. So whether you're from this part of society or you're from your another part of society, whether you're a down and out um, part of society or whether you're an up and in part of society, it doesn't matter. When you come to Christ, 
You become a part of the body of Christ. When you are regenerated by the Spirit, and I, re- I believe that's what he's talking about there, when he says, for in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, I believe he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit um, enters a person's heart and life and gives them new life, we see that in John 3, uh, John 3, when Nicodemus is asking um, Jesus, so, um, so tell me about this kingdom of God stuff you're talking about. And Jesus says, hey, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus is like, how, do I, how am I born again? How can I enter again into my mother's womb a second time? Jesus says, it's about the Spirit. The Spirit giving you spiritual new birth. And when the Spirit enters a believer, when they, when they are regenerated, when they are born again, they, are, they come into one family of God. One Father. So that in Christ, they are participating in one body. We are one body because God's Spirit is in every believer. The body, I'm so glad that Paul used the body because oftentimes we think of the church as we think of the church as this event that's taking place right here. We talk about going to church. Or we talk about um, we talk about um, the church that's down on the corner of such and such and such and such. As if the church is a building or as if the church was an event that took place. But the church is not an event. The church is not a building. The church is Christ's body in the world. When it gathers together or when it scatters from this place, it doesn't cease to be the body. It is the body. It is an organic part, and each member, I should say, is an organic part of the whole. I love that. I love that word body. I love the, the imagery there. It is not that, that uh, just as the body is one and has many members, when he says members, and he says it throughout here, it, it doesn't, he's not talking about being uh, a member of a club. Like, I'm a, a member of the Audubon Society. Or I'm a member of the gym. He's not talking about that kind of a membership. He's talking about you are a part of an organic whole. You are a part of, of Christ's body in the world. The vis- visible expression of Christ to the watching world. What would that look like for, for, uh, for us? That's what we're going we're gonna to talk about as we, as we move throughout the rest of this message. I want us to think long and hard about what it means to be an organic part of the whole. What it means to be a member of the local church. And, and the fact that we need each other. We need each other. That's what he says. That's what he's going to next. It, look with me at the next paragraph, verses 14 to 20. The point he, he, here he's making is that every member belongs in the body. Every member has a part in the body. Every man, member plays a tune in the body because God chose us to be. So look what he says. The, look, for example, 
in verse 14, he says, the body doesn't consist of one member. Think about our, think about our, our bodies. What do we have? A couple of feet, a couple of hands, fingers, toes, um, a head, a mind, internal organs, systems that are working healthily in our body, right? Many parts make up our organic body. But there are some people who will say, who will say, well, in the church, I'm not the preacher, I'm not the missional community leader, um, I'm not a Sunday school teacher, or, well, I, I, what, what am I? What part do I have to play? Because I'm, not, because I'm not that part, because I'm not a missionary or a preacher or whatever, I don't really have a part to play. I'm just, I, either I'm going to just stay back or I'm just not going to be involved at all. Or I'm not going to come anymore. Well, look what he says. The foot doesn't say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. <laughs> because I'm not like that other part, I don't belong. I don't have a place here. No, every member belongs. The ear doesn't say, I'm, because I'm not an eye, uh, I don't belong to the body. Well, it, it can say that all it wants. But the reality is, it's still a part of the body. And besides that, he points out, if all, if all were one part, where would be the other valuable parts? If all were an ear, how would we smell? If all were an eye, how would we hear? The point is, in verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God put it together. God assembled it. God created each of us with our different, different gifts, different abilities, and he put us all together as he wanted us to be. Thought about that? He gave you a gift. He gave you abilities. And he gave each of you what he wanted you to have so that you would do your part in the body of Christ. So Farkle McBride discovered that, you know, uh, I, I, I've got, it got old playing the trombone, personally. It got old playing the flute or the, the violin or the whatever it was and the percussion. But, man, when all of those parts are playing together, when all of those instruments are doing their part, it's beautiful. And that's what God has done. He has arranged us all together. I, I love the word arrange because I have a background in music. And in music you do arranging. You take a song and you say, I'm going to arrange this song. I'm going to create parts for it. I'm going to take melodies and I'm going to take rhythms and I'm going to put them in, in different instruments. I'm going to arrange them together. And then we're all going to play together. And now it's not just this song that somebody sings on and plays on their guitar. But now it's an arrangement. Now the whole orchestra is playing beautiful music. And God has done that. God has taken every person and given them value and worth so that there's no inferior parts to the body. There's no, no room for us to say, I don't belong here because God has given you value. God has placed you in the body the way he wants you to be. The question then becomes, are we, are we looking at ourselves and saying, well, I'm not like somebody else in the church. And, 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 and making excuses for not getting involved, not doing our part, or not seeking how we are 
Not seeking how we are gifted in order to serve. In this passage, um, we didn't read the part that came before, and we're not going to have time to get to the part that comes after it, but Paul's talking about um, how God has, through the Holy Spirit, given every believer gifts. And he gives them a variety of gifts, and he talks about these gifts in these different sections of, of, of 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about gifts of wisdom and knowledge and um, even, even at the time for them at least healing miracles and, and, just, and interpreting gifts and whether or not we see those manifested in our church today, the fact remains that the Corinthian church had all these wonderful gifts but many people were going, well I don't have that gift. Well I don't have that gift. So maybe I don't really belong. Contrary. God has given everybody a part, everyone a part to play in his body. What is your gift? How are you going to use it for his glory? Well, then there are other people, though. There are others in the church that said, well, my gift is pretty special. Well, I, I can do some pretty amazing things. And so what were they doing? The eye, he said, cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. I'm, I'm the eye. I see. I don't need a hand. You know, you are just hanging out there, flailing along, you know. But really, it's all about me as the eye. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. How's the head going to get anywhere without the feet? Right? The, the, the point being is that no member of the body is superior ontologically, than any other. There's no, there's no room for superiority. There's no room for, hey, I've got some pretty good gifts or I have an important part in this church. And so, therefore, all of you, I can do without. That seemed to be the attitude of the church that Paul was talking to. But Paul says, no, no, no. Because let's, let's think about this for a minute. Think about the body. Think about how it, how it works. Um, there are parts of, the, of our, hum, our physical bodies that tend to be weaker. Or, or, um, or we, we tend to think are less honorable, he says. He's talking about parts that you don't want to, to show off. <laughs> parts that you want to keep covered. Right? And so what do we do? We actually give greater honor to them. We bestow greater honor to them by treating them with greater modesty. And then our more presentable parts, uh, they don't require that. We don't worry about them. It's all good. They don't need to be, they don't need to be, they don't, they don't need to have special coverings. So the point there is that every, every part has honor because God has given it to them. And just because you're not the one, uh, say, standing in the pulpit every Sunday, doesn't mean that you don't have a part to play. And, and it means that those who do stand in the pulpit every Sunday um, have no room for superiority complex. <laughs> the goal, the goal God has in giving every part the, the part that they should play is that there be no division in the body. No division. Some translations translate it schism. Have you ever been in a church that was divided, 
Ever been into a church that had schism, that had division? Uh, there would never be any cliques in any of the churches that we've been a part of, would there? There would never be any us versus them, would there? Well, hopefully not in a healthy body. Because what the effect is, and what that word really symbolizes in the context, which I'm I, I, it's unfortunate that this translation just uses the term division, because it really has the effect of dismemberment dismemberment. Some parts of the body are saying to other parts of the body, we're superior to you. You are inferior. We can do without you. So we'll just remove you from the body. The, uh, that's, that's the effect that Paul wants us to, to see here. Dismemberment. What, who, what, what normal, healthy, organic body is going to cut off its members like that? No. The goal is that we see that God has so composed the body, once again, uh, a musical term, but actually the, actually the, the, the idea the idea in the original language, was more a, like a painter mixing the paints together to create just the right hues, to create just the right textures so that the canvas comes alive with the beauty of the master and what he had in his mind. God is mixing the body together just so, so that it comes out a masterpiece. There's no division in that kind of a body. And look what else, a, a, a second part to that, because if there's no division and there's unity, then that means that all of the members have the same care for one another. That word same in the original language is put right at the beginning of the sentence. It's put in this really emphatic position because Paul wants, in that time, at least in the Greek, very often you'd put the most important word right at the beginning. It, they weren't ordered like we'd order English. But they'd put that most important word at the beginning so that it was there for emphasis so that the reader would know that it's same, same, same. The same care you would have for yourself in other words, the same care that you would care about your own body, about your own interests, you would have that same care for one another. That you would care for other people in just the same way. And how would they do that? Look at verses 26, or, or look at verse 26 with me. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. How, how, how is the body uh, supposed to do that? Because he, here we are, we all live in different places, we all have our distinct minds and thoughts and, and our own physical bodies. How are we to be that kind of organic, spiritual body? By caring for one another. By living life together and as close as we possibly can. Through, well, through a lot of the rhythms that we as a church have established for us. Missional community, uh, discipleship groups, and of course our, our worship gathering here. And then as we go out and we serve together, and we bless our community together, 
We do those things together and then, then we find out, hey, Cheryl's suffering. Cheryl's, Cheryl's having a hard time here. I'm going to walk with her in that. How am I supposed to know when Cheryl's suffering if I'm not with her on a regular basis? If I don't spend time with her? If I don't listen to her? If I don't ask, how are you doing? Really? Right? When one member is honored, we all rejoice together. I mean, how am I supposed to know to rejoice with Bill I don't know if I, if I don't spend any time with him and I don't hear his testimony of how, hey, this happened to me recently and I go, well, that was a real honor for you. I'm going to rejoice with you on that. There's some wonderful things. Well, I'm going to rejoice with you. Why would we, why is it that we share uh, one minute testimonies every Sunday? Well, number one is to glorify God and to talk about how great he is, but it's so that we can do just this right here. We can share together. We can rejoice together. Praise God together. That's the, that's the body that God has designed us to be in. And then he ca caps it off with this, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. He sums it all up by making sure that we realize what he's been talking about, he's not just going off on physical bodies. What is this all? What is he talking about, our physical bodies? Yes, they have many, many members, many parts. He's saying he wants to make sure that it's clear. You guys are the body of Christ. Christ. So as you, as you treat one another, as you live with one another, as you suffer together, as you rejoice together, you're representing Christ to the world and to each other. I want to be in a church that really does that. <laughs> Don't you? Don't you want to be in a church that expresses the goodness of the body of Christ? That, that shares together, that suffers together, that rejoices together, where there is no division and schism and dismemberment, where, where we're recognizing that God has placed and arranged us the way He, he chose, where God is, has composed the body the exact way that He wants it to be, where we are in one spirit, we are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you're automatically part of the universal body of Christ. Let's not, don't, don't misunderstand that. But there's a way that, that was true for the Corinthian church. Paul said it to them. He didn't, he, he didn't dismiss that fact that, yes, um, we are all part of the universal church, but he says, then be the body of Christ. Act like it. Live it out by God's grace. What would it look like then? for our church, for the river church, to live like that? What would it look like for the river church to be that kind of a healthy body? One healthy body. Each doing its part. Each belonging to the whole. Where there is unity with the diversity of members. We as a river church have been uh, working on a covenant a, a covenant of membership where we can say, 
Yes, this is what it looks like to be part of the body that is the River Church. So that we can be healthy. So we can all be together. So that we can all um, find unity. And so partly, mostly with, um, with my words that are woefully inferior, we have come up with uh, several statements that um, express our desire to be members, a desire to be healthy members of the River Church. I want to read them for you, and then, and then I'll make sure that you have an opportunity to look at them um, yourself. I, I know that our missional communities, uh, when they meet, they'll have a copy of those, and then we'll make sure that we get it all out to everybody in the next week or so. But here's what it says. By God's grace, I will grow in my love and knowledge of Jesus through personal and group discipleship. It's pretty essential. If you're going to follow Jesus and if you're going to be a part of the body of Christ, that, that you're growing in your love of Jesus and you're growing in your knowledge of Him. By God's grace, I will connect with other believers in a missional community of the church. By God's grace, I will worship God with other believers in the gatherings of the church like this. By God's grace, I will give generously and systematically to support the ministry of the church. By God's grace, I will offer my spiritual gifts and talents in service to God through the church. By God's grace, I will participate in members' meetings. Trust me, there'll be few. We won't spend every month hashing things out in members' meetings, but they're important. They're a part of the body. By God's grace, I will encourage, pray for, support, and submit to the leadership of the church. And all of those, without getting into, uh, without reading every single passage that's connected to it, all of them are connected to new, the New Testament's teaching about what it means to be the church. And so every one of them has two or three, often, um, passages of Scripture that go along with them. And I can make those available to you. The point, though of all of that, is not to set some high, almost impossible standard of what it means to be a member of any kind of church. But it's to say, this is what we want to do by God's grace. I added that phrase, by God's grace, because I really believe that we are going to fail at that every day. I fail in my love of Jesus every day. But by God's grace, I'm going to keep on falling on my face in the direction of Christ. By God's grace, I'm going to keep seeking to connect with other believers and keep seeking that community, in missional community, and the rest of them as well. How will you respond? You are part of the body, and we belong together. How will you uh, how will you use your gifts? How will you join with the body of Christ? So, this morning, uh, we are going to sing a song, and we're going to sing, uh, we're going to sing a song that's that's um, that recognizes Jesus did all of this for us, so that we can be His people, and so that we can be the church. And I want to ask you all to just reflect on what that means for you. And reflect on, on this message. What, what do you need to do to respond to this?
Maybe you need to make a decision for Christ. Maybe you need to um, become, become born again. Maybe you need to discover your gifts. And maybe we can provide you with some resources and some, some helps for you to seek that out and find out what it is that God has really equipped you to do and to be as a member of the church. Or maybe you just need to commit and need to say, I want to be part of this, but let me, let's look into this more. I, I have some questions about some of that stuff. I have some concerns, but I, need, I, I want to find out about this because I want to be part of a church like that. How are you going to respond? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you are doing in our lives. Thank you so much for this word. Thank you, God, for giving us new life in Christ by your Spirit. Thank you, God, for arranging your people, those uh, believers who have come under your grace, arranging them the, in the body the way you want them to be. Thank you for giving gifts. Thank you, God, for giving us all, all of the gifts that we need to, um, to accomplish all that you have asked us to accomplish. God, thank you for composing the body, giving honor to each part as it's needed so that there will be no dismemberment of the body, so that there will be um, care, the same care that we would give ourselves to we give to other people so that we share in suffering and that we rejoice together as well. God, thank you for your body. Thank you for Christ. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.